Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Let us listen to God's word for us this day. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with the chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the, into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there fully dressed and completely sane. And they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples, but Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have you been saved? I can remember being asked this question by a practical stranger when I was young and being utterly confused by it. The bewilderment must have been written all over my face because my questioner quickly pelted a follow-up question at me. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? To this, I started to sputter an affirmative answer, only to then be asked, when were you saved? Which once again left me floundering. It didn't take too long for me to realize this person I hardly knew was looking for an exact date and to also realize I wasn't going to have the answer for which he was looking. To many, Jesus' salvific work occurred at a singular point in time, the moment he took his last breath on the cross 
dying on our behalf. Similarly, they believe Jesus' saving work in each of our lives hinges on one particular moment, the moment we first confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the moment we decided, chose, believed. Yet when I look at the lived life of Jesus and my own life, the lives of those whom I walk with up close, this characterization of Jesus as Savior feels limited, more than a bit constraining. My gut says that our friend in our scripture today would argue a similar point if given the chance. Before Jesus is even close to the cross in the Gospel of Mark, he comes to the region of the Gerasenes, his boat making landfall, close enough to the tombs to catch the attention of this man plagued by a legion of demons. Writer Diana Butler Bass reminds us that the word salvation comes from the Latin salvus, which originally meant being made whole, uninjured, safe, or in good health. While we so often think of Jesus' saving work as the work of saving us from our sins through his sacrifice on the cross, scholar Marcus Berg notes that there are many things from which one could need saving. Victimization, meaninglessness, suffering. For some, he notes the need is liberation. For others, the need is homecoming. And still for others, the need is acceptance. When Jesus meets our man amidst the tombs, he encounters one who honestly holds all of those needs all at once. It is no wonder that he has a whole legion of demons plaguing him because the impact of their presence upon his life is immense. He's completely isolated and alone, exiled by his community to live amongst the dead, put in literal chains that could not contain the chaos within him, his inward pain expressed outwardly through guttural howls and acts of self-harm. Yet Jesus comes to his lakeshore and commands the unclean spirits to leave this man's body. And the spirits, which could not be contained or controlled by leg irons, chains, or any other, bow before him and plead for mercy, asking to be sent into a nearby herd of 2,000 pigs. Jesus casts them out and into the herd, and over a nearby cliff they go. In their wake is left the man fully dressed and completely sane, who has been saved from all that plagued him, uninjured, safe, in good health, one who has been made whole once more. Bass notes that there are all sorts of people in the Gospels God saved before Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus healed, they experienced salvus, God's salvation. They followed him. Lives were changed, transformed. Tax collectors, children, slaves, soldiers, peasants, fishermen, farmers, prisoners, the sick, the blind, the lame. When they encountered Jesus, they found salvation. The wholeness, the healing, the oneness with God that had only been the stuff of longing. 
every miracle, every act of hospitality, all the bread broken and wine served, everything that Jesus did saved people long before Rome arrested and murdered him. It was all that saving work, all that loving and healing that got Jesus arrested and killed. He threatened a world based in fear, one held in the grip of Roman imperialism by proving a community could gather in love, set a table of plenty, and live in peace with a compassionate God. No empire can stand if the people it oppresses figure out that reconciliation, love, liberation, and oneness hold more power than the sword. You'll notice in our scripture today that after the townspeople witnessed what Jesus has done, they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. Was it the 2,000 pigs lost to the demons and the sea that made them wish he hadn't come in the first place? Jesus disrupted things as they were, bringing healing and wholeness that changed and transformed. But some people preferred things the way they were, benefited even from things the way they were. It was resistance to God's saving work and the birth and life of Jesus that landed Jesus on the cross. And it was, of course, on that cross that Christ's saving work continued to unfold. It is at the cross that we bear witness to the depths of God's love for us, the lengths that God would go, the sacrifices God would make to heal us and our world, to make us whole. It was three days later at the empty tomb that we take in the power of that same love that is strong enough to stand against any empire, to defeat any death, that there is no boulder big enough to contain the saving love of God once it has been let loose in the world. Jesus' saving work began at his birth, continued through his life, and lives on through his death and resurrection. The same is true with its presence in our own life. It began before our beginning, is present to us throughout our lives unto our death and the life we are gifted beyond it. When were you saved? Friends, that should be a question that baffles us, leaves us a little bewildered. Because if we honestly look at the course of our lives, we will see Christ's saving power at work in us and around us again and again and again. On our podcast, Christian writer and thinker Jen Hatmaker closes every episode by asking a question that originated from an experience Barbara Brown Taylor shares about in her own work. The question is this. What is saving your life right now? It's a question I love and one that is so different than the other one. When were you saved? Or its close cousin, have you been saved? These two questions feel like tests that have a right answer that the questioner is way more interested in than the person they are actually engaging. 
I remember in my first encounter with that question, as I tried to sputter out answers, feeling so invisible, like my questioner cared little about me or the details of my life. It was almost like they were the gate agent, checking to make sure I had my passport to heaven, that the right boxes were checked, that my paperwork was filled out just so. It was a question that cut off relationship, leaving me feeling unsettled and attacked. What is saving your life right now is such a different question. It's asked with genuine curiosity, a hope to learn from the other or witness what is holy and life-giving in their story as we collectively hunger for salvation. It's a question that holds within it the truth that we are all on the journey together, all in need of saving, all hungry for the life God longs to offer us. It invites a deepening of relationship. It invites us to view our walk with Jesus in the same way. Instead of limiting Jesus' work to a particular point in time, it assumes that salvific work is ongoing, ever-present, always unfolding in our lives. It invites us to see with fresh eyes the ways Jesus is saving us right here, right now. We all have our own version of our legion, that which plagues us. I've already given you a little time and space to reflect on that in our time of confession but I would encourage you to take more time reflecting on what is plaguing you right here, right now. What is it from which you need saving? What is it you need to experience life anew? Then I would invite you to reflect some more. What is saving your life? right now what is saving your life right now in your answers you will find all the more reason to give thanks and praise to Jesus who is and was and always will be your Savior Amen